right. Well, welcome to the first episode of the Front Porch Podcast in uh, 2021. This is a, this will be a good one. The year and the and the show. My name is Paul, intern at Front Porch, your host today. And today we've got Ben Slope, who makes some of the music for the show. I just asked him, hey, can we use some of your music on uh, on the Front Porch podcast? And he was like, sure. And he didn't even ask us for any money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Ben, how's it going? It's going, you know. Uh, made it to 2021. That's a good feeling. Nice. I don't know how much is going to change now, but, you know, a different year. Maybe different mindset or something like that. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm Ben. I'm a third year business administration student at Cal Poly. Uh, I'm concentrating in finance, and as Paul was just saying, I made some of the beats that play on this uh, on this nice little podcast. So nice. And so, when did you this? So your artist name is Quicksand with no vowels yeah (laughs) where where did that come from so the name was funny you know funny enough the name was one of the hardest things as I was wanting to release this album uh it was a very informal process of me making these beats um they were kind of just sitting on my computer and I started making beats um about three years ago, like right as I was graduating from high school, I got my laptop for college, I bought Logic, and I just thought, you know, I'd, I'd played music kind of all my life, played piano and everything, and so I just thought, hey, I want to start making something and kind of see what works and what doesn't, and so I did that for a few years, didn't really release anything, and then I realized probably about eight months ago that I had made a lot of lo-fi beats, and so I was like, hey, this would be kind of cool, these seem pretty cohesive, and I had to do some work from that point to make them a little bit more similar and kind of a, a set vibe for the album. But I realized I think I had like seven or eight songs that I thought could maybe work. And so I narrowed that down to six. And so I pretty much had the EP done and I was like, all right, this this is going to be cool. This is going to be fun. I didn't really think anything of it. It wasn't that formal or anything, but I just thought I want to get something out there and just see what happens. And then I was just kind of brainstorming because I didn't necessarily want to just use my name like Ben Slope for a lo-fi album just I don't know I feel like people don't really do that for that type of vibe and but I didn't have like a set like band name or anything at that point so I was just me and my brother were just like brainstorming names and thought quicksand sounded and looked kind of cool with like all caps so I just went with that but it it really wasn't uh too big of a decision I didn't put a ton of thought into it but that's what that's what ended up happening nice that's sweet so it sort of was a your learning logic occurred through like the the lo-fi beats world like just sort of messing around different samples and all the yeah i mean in a way i think i was learning logic kind of like there were there's a lot of songs on my computer that are never gonna be seen by anybody thankfully Um, but I think it was important for me to make a lot of those prior to even making like the lo-fi beats, just kind of learning and seeing what worked and clearly seeing what didn't work. And, um, YouTube has been my savior through all of it because it's kind of insane how many great resources there are on there, there are on there just of people teaching you how to use logic and navigate it and everything. 
So I'd say like the lo-fi beats were my first comfortable, like I was at that point, I was comfortable kind of letting other people hear them. But that was, I made those after making a, a lot of other things. So gotcha. Um, yeah. And like I was saying, like now listening back, it's funny because uh, I feel like there's a lot of things that I would change if I were to like release it at this point. But I think that's all part of the process. And it's, it's fun to listen back to hear kind of where I was at six or eight months ago or whenever it was that I released it. So it's, I don't really have regrets. Like I'm glad that I released it when I did. And, um, but it is funny listening back now. Cause I feel like I've learned a lot in the last six months, just through quarantine, I've been spending a lot of time on music. So there are stuff that I would have done differently if I were to be doing it right now, but that's kind of all part of it. Yeah. Cause it sounds pretty, um, pretty sharp to me when i listened to it through it i was like oh this is like you know the uh what's the that youtube looping video that's just like yeah. lo-fi boot beats for for studying study or whatever yeah. yeah and it's got <laughs> the cat that's like doing the same thing for like hours and hours on a time i was like oh this would fit like so perfectly in the yeah you know that's kind of the beauty of lo-fi i've found is that it doesn't really have to sound that well mixed or anything because a lot of <laughs> lo-fi music doesn't it's like a lot of lo-fi music just isn't mixed that well because it's kind of like not super big artists doing exactly what I was doing and so I think kind of the circumstances fit well together for me to do that because like you're saying like it kind of sounds like it could fit onto one of those lo-fi albums because like the rules of mixing and everything don't really apply that much to lo-fi. So interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. It was, I think it was a good first project because of that. Like my songs compared to more well-known lo-fi songs. Like there's not all that the low, low stakes. Right. Right. I did not realize that there was sort of like a, just the culture of, of lo-fi beats, I guess is one of, um, like it lends itself to sort of more people being able to like try it out and, and mess around and do, do different things because I guess like the barriers to entry right. are, are, are so much lower, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I, I think there's just a little bit more grace in like the lo-fi music scene of like, cause I don't know. I feel like with popular culture music, like there's so much uh, you kind of already have to be in or you're like an industry plan or whatever because there's so many people in that industry that just like gatekeep and control like what is played and what isn't and to make it like as an independent artist you like your song has to be really good first of all and you have to have a really good mix and like everything kind of has to be in place and so for someone like me who like you know doesn't really have resources or like know people to that could really help my music out like I think lo-fi was a good way to enter that music scene just because there's not all of those expectations of like having your song sound radio ready, like right from the get go. Totally. So, so what, what would be some of those things that you think you would adjust or do in a new way if you're to revisit or, or put another, another few songs out? Yeah, I think the main thing, well, I'll, I'll say two main things. The first would be the structure of the songs. Um, I think some of them get too repetitive, which a lot of lo-fi beats are very repetitive. So I think it they fit in in that way. But um, 
I don't know. Some of them are just kind of a pretty similar loop, like through the whole song, which can be okay. But I think uh, the album overall could be a little bit less repetitive in the way that the songs are structured. Um, and then the second thing would be uh, EQing. I don't know if I don't know how familiar you or the listeners are with like music production or anything like that. But basically, EQing is like there's a frequency spectrum of like how sound is portrayed. And so you have low frequencies, high frequencies, and everything in between. Um, and so, for example, like with a kick drum, that's basically occupying the low frequency spectrum. And so you don't necessarily want high frequencies to be coming through from your kick, because even when things aren't audible, there's a lot of the time little frequencies going on that you just want to cut out, and it'll make your song sound a lot better as a whole. And so I think that's one way that I've gotten a lot better. And that EQing is a huge part of mixing. Um, having really clean EQs on each of your individual tracks just makes your sound, your song sound a lot better as a whole. Um, so that's what I listen through now. I feel like there's a lot of EQ decisions that I would have made differently on certain instruments. Gotcha. Um, and that's kind of the, that's the main thing listening back now. Sweet. And we talked a little bit about this before we, uh, before we hit the red, the red record button. Um, but I was wondering what your, your favorite song from these from these are yeah i think my favorite i don't know um let's see i'm literally looking up the album right now i think my favorite is probably mr rogers okay um i don't know i like mr rogers i like bummer and i like lazy town those are probably my favorite three um I don't know. I mean, all of them are special to me just because they were all sitting on my computer and they all made the cut for the EP. So yeah, I wouldn't have released them if I didn't like them at the time, at least. And what's the, um, where did the name Mr. Rogers come from? <laughs> uh, that was another kind of just random choice. Uh, nice. I think I had made I, I had made the beat and it was named something like, you know, the date and then lo-fi beat start or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it sat like that on my computer for a month or so. And then me and my, I think one of my roommates was sitting listening to the song with me one night and he said something like, it, I don't know, he said like Mr. Rogers came to his mind for some reason. Nice. And so it just kind of stuck and... Uh, and now it's called Mr. Rogers. I don't even know if that's how Mr. Rogers spells his name, but that's how we spelled it and I never changed it, so. A terrific role model for uh, all. Oh, definitely. Um, and I watched a lot of Mr. Fred. Rogers grow. Same, so much. Whenever we'd go to my uh, my grandfather's house, it was Mr. Rogers all the time. Fred Rogers, that's his name. Fred, right, right, right. So th when uh, when I saw it come up, I don't know, I think you may have posted about it on Instagram or something. I can't remember how I found found it on Spotify, but when it came out with the name, the, the title of the EP is called Bummer. And it came out, I think, what, April or May. Yeah, that sounds right. I think it was May. And I was like, the, my first, my first impulse was like, oh, this is a, uh, these, this sounds like the sounds of a, like a pandemic lock-in. Like, 
somebody's <laughs> somebody's finally decided like you know now's the time i'm gonna i'm gonna put this together but it sounds like this was a long a, a bit longer work in progress than like you know march 15th all right i guess i'm gonna sit down on my computer and make a bunch of make a bunch of lo-fi beats you know yeah i think the lock-in kind of uh it kind of advanced my timeline of like when i was planning to do everything and put everything together okay because a lot of the beats were already on my computer but in i think i made uh lazy town in like april so that one was pretty that one was pretty like quick and recent when i released the album um but yeah the the pandemic kind of gave me a lot of time and so it it allowed me to figure out how i wanted to finish everything and uh, my good friend Daniel did the the album art, and I think he did that like around April. So it was kind of it it advanced the the timeline of everything for sure. Nice, yeah. And so was Bummer the name Bummer connected at all to the sort of like cultural milieu in which it emerged? Uh, it was in a way, but actually, Bummer was. I think that was probably one of the first that I completed. So that song had been done for, or close to done for a while, and it it was named Bummer actually from the start. Gotcha. So okay. that's that song I made, and just listening to that song, like, it kind of gave me that vibe of just like, kind of being bummed out. I, not necessarily about like one particular thing, but just li- when I whenever I listen to that song, it's not necessarily like sad, but something about the vibe of it just like gave me like that word Bummer just kind of resonated with me as i was making it and as as i was listening through the song and so that song was named and then as i was saying that's one of my more favorite songs on the ep so i just decided it was a good name for the the album as a whole and i like how it looks in all caps so that's why that was kind of another another reason why it was the ep title It's a very symmetrical word. Yeah, that's what I really liked about it. Yeah, that's what uh, it's it's the most anyone of any of us can can hope for is symmetrical words for the titles of our of our art. <laughs> yeah, I feel like all of my all of my reasonings behind like my answers to these questions are so like like it's it wasn't very deep, and that's probably pretty obvious as as, as I'm talking about this like. There's n- I wish there were more meaning behind the songs, but honestly, a lot of it was just me figuring things out and messing around and then kind of naming the song according to how I felt about that particular song at the moment. But it's it's not particularly deep, but it's okay. <laughs> well, and I think even the that aspect of like lettering, I think, and naming something, like there are some words, like when they sit on a page and you look at them and you're just like... That just, that word does not look, like, pleasant. Like, it's not a... Oh, totally. Yeah, like, I think, I don't know, stylistic choices of, like, all lowercase, all uppercase. See this in in different places where it's just, like, weighting the word in a certain way. Like, the way that it'll sit on a screen or on a page. I think it just changes. uh, It it definitely changes what it is in in a lot of ways. It totally does. 
it's funny you mentioned that too because as i was like in the process of releasing it like it's it's not very and i know you probably know this from the podcast it's not super easy to like get things on spotify and like all the music services like if you're an independent artist you have to go through like a third party and so i went through a third party called distro kid i've heard of them yeah yeah so i like put everything put all the music in and like the album cover and all of the titles and everything and within distro kid it was it warned me it was like the capitalization may change depending on like what streaming services it goes on to <laughs> and so i was kind of worried about that because i did want everything to be in all caps and i didn't want it to be inconsistent because like on the album cover it's all caps right and so yeah i was kind of worried i think on apple music it's not in all caps but on spotify it is so i don't know why gotcha. that changed but it was yeah kind of weird yeah the digital the digital music world is a it's a very alienated process it seems like there's not right. you just sort of you know put your inputs into whatever host that this says is like yeah we'll put we'll t put it where it needs to be but you don't see any face it's just like the distro kid machine is gonna take care of business um it's <laughs> yeah a very very disconnected process but you know it lets many more people contribute to the the music world i suppose yeah no it's really true so the music that i heard from you before this album has in my mind almost no connection with <laughs> lo-fi beats so i was so surprised by seeing like oh my gosh like he dabbles in this whole other genre because the the music that you make that has you singing in it and um that sort of thing like there is there is like a little bit of electronic production to it but that's definitely not the sort of the the cornerstone of it i suppose so i was wondering if you could talk about the some of the other music you make that features your singing and other instrumentalities sure yeah so the lo-fi album is very different than like a lot of what i what the other stuff i make is like um I think for some reason, lo-fi beats were pretty easy, like natural and easy for me to make. And so a lot of the time when I sat down at my computer, like when I sit to make music, I, I a lot of the time I don't have a necessary like idea or like a specific plan for what I'm going to do. I kind of just will sit down and start to feel like play the keyboard mainly or guitar or something and see if there's an idea that pops out and then I'll kind of go from there. And so during the lo-fi phase, like I was having lo-fi just come naturally a lot of the time. So I'd sit down and play some melody and then it seems like it would fit to just do kind of a lo-fi beat over it. But a lot of the music that I prefer to make and that I make probably more is more like uh, kind of the indie, indie pop vibe. So pretty different, pretty drastically different than like lo-fi hip hop, but um yeah, one thing about me as like a songwriter though is that I always have trouble writing lyrics. Like I mm. don't have trouble writing like vocal melody. Like the melody itself is easy for me, but lyric-wise, I just I really struggle. Hmm. So, um 
I don't know why that is. I, I guess, I mean, I never really considered myself like a great writer in like English classes. So I think it's probably connected to that, but I, yeah, I always have trouble writing lyrics. So I think with the lo-fi, it was kind of like satisfying to just be able to finish songs without ever having to write lyrics and like there were no <laughs> vocals on it and I didn't have to worry about that. But, um, I am still working on, I mean, ever since I released the lo-fi album, I've been focusing much more of my time onto like music that I will someday release probably with my actual name. Um, and that'll be more of more representative of like my true music style. Cause it'll have vocals and, and lyrics and everything, but that will likely be quite a ways away because it's a very slow process. When, uh, when can the fans, uh, potentially expect such, uh, such offerings? So my goal right now is to have most, I'm planning to do an album and I don't necessarily want to release anything until I have about an album written. Uh, I don't want to just do like a single at a time or anything like that. So my plan, and this is a tentative plan at this point, is to have the album written by the time I graduate college, which will be spring of 2022. Sweet. Um, so that's that's the plan. It's it's not going to be released by then. Right. And who knows what's going to happen, but that's the tentative goal. <laughs> nice. What are your, some of your, your inspirations? So Bon Iver is uh, first and foremost. I, that song, 715 Creeks, was my number one, I think, on Spotify for 2019, 2018, and 2017. Oh, um, dang. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've listened to Bon Iver pretty much all my life, like or at least as far back as I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just, I believe, just kind of a musical genius and he's kind of incapable of making a song that I don't like. So uh, I'd say he's, I mean, it's weird though, because I, I can't like, I can't say that my music is really similar to his in many ways. Um, as much as I maybe would like it to be like, it's, (laughs) I don't know. He has a very, very distinct style. Um, even though it's changed a lot, like all of his albums have a pretty unique voice, but I feel like overall he, you can just easily tell when it's a Bon Iver song and when it's a project that he's been a part of. Yeah. And I think that's so special. So I'd say he's probably the biggest inspiration, but on the other end of the spectrum, I also listen to a lot of flume, uh, which is probably going to sound funny, but I, I think flume also is just incredibly talented and he's like kind of changed the way that like electronic music sounds. Um, and yeah, I just, I really like like his sound design and his, the synthesizers that he uses are just ridiculous. So I listen to a lot of both of them. I also really like Lord and like Lord's, like Lord's style of music specifically. She works a lot with, uh, what's his name? Jack Antonoff, who's the guy from uh, Bleachers. I don't know if you've ever oh. listened to them, but. Oh yeah. So yeah, he's incredible and like melodrama lord's album is one of my favorite albums um but yeah i mean there i feel like i kind of pull inspiration from a lot of different musicians but i'd say probably the the main ones would be like bon Iver, flume lord bleachers 
Um, I also listen to like quite a bit of Mac DeMarco and like that vibe too. I mean, and these are like all over the place, but it's kind of just <laughs> like what I listen to and what I kind of let inspire me. So, yeah, Flume. I had a roommate freshman year in college who was super, super into Flume as well, and he also made. He put a couple songs out on SoundCloud that were that were pretty fun. Um, but he, the thing that he really liked about Flume was that he said that he would leave in mistakes, which is kind of rare for electronic music because it's like basically completely under con- your control and you can just like oh yeah, really polish it to perfection. But then to like leave those sort of like textured bumps in it for a sound that like often sounds like it's being made just by like um like just through a machine um right like puts a puts a level of life into it that like computer sounds didn't you didn't think could could come from yeah it's really interesting because if you like if you pay attention to his drums like just the drum samples Hmm. literally nothing is like in time like nothing is on a grid if you if you were to take like an eight bar loop like most music would just have you know like the hi-hats and in eighth notes or whatever like really steady and then all of the drums you could snap them onto a a grid and that would be pretty much you know that's how you you perceive like tempo and music by listening to the the drums and everything but if you listen to a flume song like everything is like near grid but it's never on it and it just makes it so much more interesting to listen to. And he like, I think he's one of the pioneers of that sound of really like having drums out of time intentionally. Cause mm. it like kind of like that glitch sound where like things don't really sound like it kind of puts you, it makes you uneasy, but it's such a unique sound. And so many other electronic producers are doing that now where their drums just like are not in time. I also think it's funny that like, back in like the 70s when they were doing everything on tape still like they were just trying to reduce noise like whenever they were recording music they were like let's we need to reduce all that white noise in the background and Mm -hmm. now like producers have the ability to literally have zero noise but now producers are adding in like tape noise so yeah it's kind of funny how it's just like come full circle to now they're like trying to replicate that tape sound because like the analog sound just sounds so nostalgic and it just has such a unique like unique characteristics but yeah i think it's really interesting how flume has played a part in that just like replicating that analog sound and having things out of time and it makes it sound a little more human yeah i have a buddy who for a while i don't know if he's still doing this but he would he made music through ableton oh it's the other uh it's the fellow who wrote the theme song for the front porch podcast um he would record everything through tape before it went to his computer oh Um, yeah which is which was really really funny um yeah um and so boni ver uh he this um the fellow sort of behind the whole project justin vernon he has got a lot of different stuff going on like he's got his hands in many pies yeah, he always does. One, I I'm curious. So my the my favorite project that he has ever been a part of, I think, would probably be Volcano Choir. Have you heard of this? Okay. This absolutely, uh, yeah. <laughs> couple of albums, which he did with a post rock band, which I just thought was so fun. 
I know. The, uh, I think Bygone is, I mean, I know that's like their most famous song, but that song is incredible. And also, um, what's the other one that I really, oh, Alaskans is crazy. Yes, Alaskans was the last one they recorded. They were like, when they finished that, they're like, okay, yeah, the album's done. Like, this is great. So good. Yeah, it's so, so good. Also, The Big Red Machine is so good. Also, yes, also excellent. It's funny, yeah, because I think with the Bon Iver project specifically, I you hear a lot of young musicians trying to copy that sound in a lot of ways, and it's never quite... right. It's never quite there, but I think the sort of like breadth of his work in Big Red Machine and Volcano Choir and the stuff he's done with gangs and then just all the different tracks that he's been on with the sort of like larger music universe in people, um, like it just gives, I think, so much more to pull from um, for inspiration. Oh, totally. Outside of just this sort of like very specific sound of Bon Iver. It's like his four albums are very, very different. But yeah, like you can see the the very obvious trajectory from the first one. Right. Um, that's so stripped down, it feels like. Just played on this like horrible beat up guitar. And then to some of the stuff yeah. like Naeem. Like, okay, yeah, actually, I feel like I can kind of hear like where this was all headed. Right. I think one of the things that like really helps all of his projects sound so cohesive is just his vocal style because like mm-hmm. it, he kind of goes all over the place with it but so much of the time he sings in that really like tender falsetto that is just so bon Iver. and yeah. for me at least listening through like I can just put all of his music on shuffle and never really feel like necessarily like jarred when something comes on just yeah. because of his voice and everything is just so bon Iver, uh, because of that beautiful like falsetto tone that he has and i like can't really like i can't replicate that and so many people can't replicate that just like the the tone of his voice when he uses that like falsetto is so delicate but he can also bring so much power out of it like like in 715 creeks like yeah. he leaves the falsetto but it still sounds so bon Iver. And as we were talking about with Flume, like Bon Iver also leaves mistake or like little mistakes in a lot of his vocal takes where it's like a lot of artists would tune it or like do another take to take out a crack or whatever. But Bon Iver likes to leave a lot of those in there. And I think it just makes it sound so much more natural and kind of authentic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there were some uh, some seasons, I think my last year of college, where I would just go down rabbit holes of listening to different live versions of creeks because each one oh yeah he just gives a little just a little something new to um which i mean one thing especially in this the particular moment right now it like really makes you miss live music just because every for uh, for good live artists like every show there's you know some new little some new little treat um but with that song specifically, uh, because it's so stripped down already and so like simple and clear, like every little tweak you you bring to it is just uh, like takes it a totally different direction. No, it's so true. Have you heard the version where I don't ne- necessarily remember where it was performed, but where he's like 
testing like just singing down like for like two minutes at the beginning have you yeah because he's trying to find the right modulation on the machine the messina or whatever yeah 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 Yeah, that version though is breathtaking like it might be my favorite one that he's done because once he finds it it's like oh my gosh (laughs) so good i'll have to see (laughs) if i can put a little little sample on the show um do you yourself listen to a lot of lo-fi music? I I always did when I was, I feel like when, when we were still in person, like at Cal Poly, I would go to Front Porch all the time and study and like work on my homework and everything. And I feel like I listened to a lot of lo-fi at Front Porch, like when okay. I was just, yeah, when I was just studying. Because for me personally, I, I feel like it's hard for me to listen to lyrics with or music totally. with lyrics when I'm like trying to study or read or anything. So lo-fi is natural just because there's no lyrics and it's kind of low-key and it gets me just in like a zone where I can just kind of work and grind something out. So I do when I'm studying, funny enough. I mean, lo-fi for studying and relaxing or whatever, but um not a ton outside of that like i I never would just be in my car listening to lo-fi you know yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i I see what you're saying yeah there was a season where we would definitely put um a lot of jazz beats and a lot of the some of the lo-fi playlists on the front porch sonos yeah my i actually so i didn't find the lo-fi world until later in college my like study soundtrack before that was just all like weird post-rock bands from the 90s which feels kind of like (laughs) a lo-fi predecessor as far as just like atmospheric study sounds um oh totally yeah i'm not sure like i don't even know when lo-fi sort of like came to hold the like cultural power it does as far as like these are steady sounds but it definitely feels like um like the album leaf or explosions in the sky or helios or all those bands like were very natural like predecessors to the steady soundtrack yeah i can see that i don't really know when lo-fi really gained popularity either i feel like it was max like four years ago you know yeah like Mm -hmm. i don't i think that's at least when i first started listening maybe like three or max four years ago i had a a professor once who i was at their house for something and they they were playing some they were playing i don't know some lo-fi something i was like oh who is this they said um it's 2019 like music doesn't have artists anymore it's all just (laughs) lo-fi it's uh it was was kind of funny it it definitely sort of goes into this like yeah this cloud where you might not like you could listen to lo-fi you know you study for the recommended 20 to 25 hours a week only listening to (laughs) lo-fi you could definitely emerge from that time never having known a single artist's name which is kind of oh absolutely it's a little sad because you but it's also yeah you're just listening to those like big playlists right and they have like hundreds of songs that you're just on shuffle 
And mm-hmm. for me, at least when I'm like studying, I'm not going to take time to like pull out my phone and look at like what the song is called or like who the artist is. So right. I'm perfectly fine with the fact that like a lot of the people listening to at least my EP or whatever, like probably never even notice what the name is or anything. But it is kind of sad, like that artists, because so, some of those artists on the big lo-fi playlists are probably getting quite a few plays. Yeah. But like a lot of people probably never even make it to their like artist Spotify page because they just like stay in those playlists. It's true. Yeah. It's yeah. It's sad. And I don't know. Yeah. The um, it's a very humble gift to make lo-fi music and add it to the 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 lo-fi canon, I suppose. Yeah, it really is. It's also kind of incredible how accessible it is now to like be able to record music like totally even i have logic but you could do exactly what i did in GarageBand, which is a free software you know on all macs yeah so it's it's pretty cool how with the current world and computers everywhere and like software being pretty accessible like anybody that wants to try to make music can probably get the opportunity to do that which i think is just pretty cool because if you were to go back even 20 years like you just wouldn't have the resources or the availability to be able to do that as like a, you know, teenager or someone in my position. Totally. Yeah. It's a, an open, open world. Which ends up probably making it harder because now there's so many people that are putting music out there. So it's just adding to the vast network of available music and up and coming artists. But I think that's good. You know, I mean, I think everybody that has music to put out there should put it out there and then kind of the, the industry will decide which is, you know, going to make it, which isn't always fair or right, but I don't know how to fix that. (laughs) Yeah, man. The, uh, just artists in general, they really do get screwed by industry powers but from the beginning like that has always there's is no there's never been a period of exception to that more artists right. less artists in the world like the people that sell the art will always be uh, screwing over the artist in whatever sort of like development of the of the of the medium yeah it's sad too because now there's like all these artists trying to like be independent and a lot of them are able to do it like there's some big you know like john bellion and chancellor rapper are both independent and they're able like they're big names and they're they get a lot of recognition but there's a lot of things that they just don't have access to because they're not part of a big label and so interesting there's yeah i mean they just don't have the resources of like having a huge label behind them and also like if they were ever sued or anything, then they they would be responsible for like taking care of that rather than their label. So I don't know. I feel like the industry has a long way to go before independent artists are actually able to function as independent artists and like have security in that. Just because I feel like the labels just still have so much of a monopoly over everything. And it's just sad like how they're able to just exploit and take advantage of so many artists because their contracts are so complicated and that like artists don't even know what they're signing and they're like signing something because the label's promising for them to make it big or whatever but then they a few years goes by and they get big but then they realize that they were kind of screwed over from the start so it's just it's pretty sad 
Yeah, like, what was it? Taylor Swift didn't own any of her music until, like, quite recently. Or still doesn't own oh, any yeah. of her music. I think and, I mean, she that's... might still not. Dang. So brutal. Yeah, it's it's so crazy. So, you are studying finance. Is that... How do you see your, your uh, sort of, like, academic work and this, um, like, the music world... Is there a relationship between the two, or are they like completely different uh, spaces in your life? Right. So I think it's kind of a mix of the two. So I'm not I'm not necessarily putting my marble like all my marbles in the basket of like I want to be a musician, which that's why I'm in college. Like if I were planning to be a musician, I probably wouldn't go to school. But I think like. I don't want to rule out the possibility of like having music be a part of my life for the rest of my life. Cause I am really passionate about it. And I think if that door were to open, I would definitely be willing to like step into it and explore that kind of scene. Yeah. But with that being said, I thought it was still important to get a degree and finance is like something that comes pretty somewhat naturally to me. I've, I've always like found it pretty easy to think in terms of money and I think I would enjoy working in the world of finance. I don't really know exactly what I would want to do, but I also think that it goes pretty well. Like if someday I were to enter the music industry and kind of be an actual artist full time, like I think everything I'm learning in finance would help me no matter what, just like with managing my independent and personal finances. So I think they, the two can kind of work together if music doesn't end up working out and I just like work some finance job, like that'd be fine. But if I end up, you know, doing music full time, I think finance, like everything I'm learning will help me out no matter what. So for sure. Yeah, I think it's yeah. A couple finance classes. I'm sure no musician would be uh, damaged by just understanding right. yeah, a little bit of like intellectual property law and contract negotiation, like very, very useful skills for anyone who like corporate power is like looking to screw from the get-go <laughs> right yeah so i think having kind of have having some of that knowledge will be beneficial no matter what i end up doing yeah 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 well um i'm curious what are the what are your top your top five on your top songs 2020 oh gosh uh let's look real quick they probably won't be great number one is blue world by mac miller which is nice. a great song um number two don't take the money bleachers all right uh number three is jewel by flume which is a crazy song i love that one number four is uh <laughs> Wow, I don't know how this one made it, but Mean It, which is uh, Laney and Love. Nice. <laughs> and then uh, number five is Borderline, Tame Impala. Sweet. Um, I, w I was wondering if you had any, uh, any words of wisdom for people who have got those partial logic or garage band or Ableton files sitting in their computer or an idea for a song or anything like that. Any... Uh, any word to the wise for those with stranded music files sitting on their on their laptops? Yeah, I would just say just just 
go for it. Just keep working on those things. And I think um, one of the lessons I've learned from doing a lot of music for the past few years is that you can get kind of get stuck if you're focusing on one song and you're just like listening to it all the time and listening to it over and over and over you start you like after a while you just aren't hearing things anymore because you're listening to the same thing and it starts to just sound the same no matter what you change so i'd say if you're like working on something and it just doesn't seem like you're really getting anywhere just like put it aside for a few days and work on something else and then go back to it because I think after listening to some other genres or, or working on other music you can hear things that you didn't hear if you were just listening to the same thing over and over so that's probably the main thing but honestly if if you're making music and um you just you feel passionate about it and you feel like you've made some art that you're proud of then just you know send it out to some of your friends and and see what they think and ask for honest opinions that's another important thing you don't want people to sugarcoat but um yeah i mean i'd say just like keep keep working on it and just go for it because it's worth it i read something very very similar in uh stephen king's book on writing it's like hey sometimes you just get too close to the things you create like your nose is just right up against it and sometimes all it takes is just yeah a little bit of time come back to it see it with uh totally fresh eyes and ears that's right great. yeah well, Ben, this has been lovely. Thanks for uh, letting us put your tunes on our show. I think they really uh, absolutely they take it to the next level here at the Front Porch Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me, and and thank you for playing my my songs, getting them out there a little bit more. It means a lot to me. We love it. People always tell me, you know, the best part of the show is Ben's music. <laughs> oh, I, I bet people are saying that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh!